0: Welcome to another edition of Swing Thoughts here on TSN 1150. As always, brought to you by Taylor Made Golf, the number one driver in golf. The Sim Max are out there. Make sure you get a chance before this summer's done to try out the clubs everyone's talking about. My name's Humble Howard from the Humble & Fred Show Golf Spiritual Leader here on Swing Thoughts. Coach Tim O'Connor, OConnorGolf.ca, will be joining us shortly. But first, let's get right into our conversation with one of the top golf instructors on planet Earth. He was Tiger Woods' swing coach uh, for several years and currently working with Cameron Champ, Lydia Ko. Grew up just down the road in Burlington, by the way, Hamilton people. Uh, Now living in the States. Uh, Let's listen to our conversation with Canada's very own golf guru, Sean Foley. I'm going to get right into it because I've been reading a lot of books over the years and I read a book recently and when I tell you the title it was no surprise to me that you were quoted in this book several times. The book is called Golf's Holy War. The battle I love this. I love the name of it though. The battle for the soul of a game in the age of science. Could there be a more perfect you know that's what the game is. So I'll start by asking you because you've dedicated your life to both of the the soul and the science of the game. So who's winning, science, or 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 something about the game that tugs at our soul?
1: Yeah, I mean, I look. It uh, that's a great question. That the the guy who wrote that, Brett Kergalis, he's actually the hockey editor. Uh, he's been following the devils and the rangers yeah he's he's like us you know he grew up uh, fortunate enough that someone took him to a golf course uh and he started playing golf so he loved it so pretty much he was interviewing me probably from around 2009 i think and so that book was probably written about six years ago he just had to keep doing his hockey stuff too um yeah, I, I don't think it's really who's winning or losing. It's like the, the science has been very helpful. Um, you and I hit a lot of bad shots for a lot of times because a lot of pros were teaching us what they felt was right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, some of the top scientific-minded teachers, it doesn't mean they're going to be able to creatively, uh, you know, use creativity to help someone. It's, it's a combo. I think – the, the perfect world lies kind of in between Mac O'Grady and Butch Harmon. Mm-hmm. So in experiential, like, if you look at Butch Harmon, um, you know, Butch doesn't really use data or anything like that. And, he, and he'll admit that. But to be Claude Harmon's son, who was best friends with Ben Hogan, the experiential knowledge that Butch has between him and all of his brothers, you know, being at Seminole and Wingfoot, And, and then the fact that Butch also is the only coach I know who won on the PGA tour. So that provides its own level of wisdom and knowledge. So, and then you can have someone like, I think probably one of the really, one of the, the brightest kind of teachers who has delved into science is right there in Canada, which is Scott Cox.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he's brilliant. Uh, about that stuff that's the stuff that i will look at um so i really admire like i really admire the path that he took to get to where he's figured out what he's figured out i think somewhere in the middle of those two is is where it lies so having the ability to the best thing about being around the national when i was a kid and i was on the divot crew when i met you that's right you were filling right. divots filling divots baby is that You know a lot of the canadian tour players like great players would always be there Mm -hmm. and then before i was at the national i ended up at the national because we were in vancouver and i was doing the same thing at shaughnessy but under jack mclaughlin and so i used to watch jack teach jeff kramer lori kane ray stewart brent franklin i mean to this day i still haven't really heard anyone hit an iron like brent franklin yeah um, man was he pure so pretty much i had like a six-year time frame there where i sat on a wire basket and watched pro golfers get taught mm-hmm. so <clears throat> i remember one day i did an interview and the guy said you know how did you end up here and i was like that's a good question and my dad heard the interview and called me and said i know how you did and so when i left vancouver my dad asked jack mclaughlin I want my son to be continued to be mentored. How can we do this? And then he called Ben Kern, and and that was it. Um, so the the science is important, but at, at the end of the day, there was great players before there was any of it.
0: Oh, I, so. and 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 I I agree. The thing about reading that book, and and again, I sort of smiled when I started you being referenced, and uh, through the uh, power of technology, look who's joined us, kids. It's Coach Tim.
2: Hey, Howard. Hey, Sean. Good to see you. Hey,
0: brother. Hey, Ken, how you doing, bud? Um, Very good. Very good. We are just. We literally just got started. I, I was talking to Foles here about this book that I read. And, and, the you know, early on in the book, it references the golf machine. And, you know, I've sort of perused it. I, I, early on, we both, you know, we're friends. We're all friends with Mark Evershed, the first guy that ever injured. I, I'd never heard of the golf machine until I'd met Mark. The problem with the golf machine for people that it's almost like reading the Bible. If you, you can meet people that interpret it, you know, priests, or you can read it yourself. And very few people have delved into either of those books.
1: Yeah, I I think, too, when you look at the golf machine as well. I mean, the reason I was in the golf machine uh, was my first coach that I ever had when I was, uh, my dad was a salesman for DuPont. So we moved all over the U.S. and Canada. Um, my first coach, uh, was Greg McCatton when I was 11 years old. And Greg is pretty much at the top of the hierarchy of the golfing machine. Mm -hmm. So like the first things I was taught was a flat left wrist. I was taught to swing around my left leg. It's really interesting, right? Like, and so my dad's, my dad being a chemist, he just felt there's way too much opinion in golf. And so he wanted me to kind of have some, you know, background of, of, what goes together now? I would argue to this day that the golf machine is pretty much pseudoscience. Um, if Homer Kelly had the ability to measure on the stuff that we can measure on now, mm-hmm. what would have been there's there's no discussion of like kinetics. Uh, there's no di- real discussion of biomechanics. There's not much discussion of the integration of the body and muscle and torques and forces and all that. But to me, you know, you could have a you know books need to be readable and the problem right. with that book is you'd be on page 13 yeah and it'd say you know if you go if you go to page 178 <laughs> after a while you just kind of stop you 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 stop reading but I, I think it's still one of the greatest works in the history of golf instruction um the fact that that man sat there in his garage taking pictures of his wife hitting positions and explaining it, it was pretty impressive versus what was going on but you know that's the whole thing. Like <clears throat> Hogan and Hogan and Mo Norman and, and 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 most of those players, Lee Trevino, they figured it out just doing it. Mm-hmm. And I I still I still use the data and the information. Everything I'm doing is still so I don't harm players. It I don't really know what's right for anyone I coach. I just know what's wrong for them, and if I can keep them from doing the wrong things, we'll have those moments on a Thursday night at the PGA championship where we we just get hit with some beautiful wisdom and Uh, then we're going.
2: So I was gonna ask you, do a lot of golfers do themselves in essence self harm by trying to match the models that they read in these books?
1: Of course. I mean that's like that's another thing is so say I'm I just started working with Lydia Ko. And this is a perfect example, right? This girl came from uh, New Zealand. She hit the women's golf like a rocket. And she was so graceful and just so good. And so she kind of, you know, she took the club in. It got across the line a little bit at the top with a shut face. Then from there, she, like, quickly spun her hips. um, And then hit this, like, little tiny cut. And, And, you know, then she starts figuring out that to get to the next level, she's got to do this, this, and this. And she quite simply ends up becoming like frame for frame from the ace wing and uh, and David Ledbetter's book. And I, I love David Ledbetter. He's a pioneer. Um, I would never have had the career I had without him coming before me. So I have nothing but respect. But I would really argue that that book is not on point with what happens to the center of mass of the golf club and how the human body generates force it just doesn't. So the thing is when we have models then we say oh Tim's club face is too shut Howard's hips spin too much. So when Lydia comes to me we are working in conjunction with Craig Davey still and so Craig Davies takes care of – so physiologically, I know where she's at. I know where her strength is he's a, at. He's a
2: trainer, right? Yeah. He,
1: he, yeah, he, he's a trainer, uh, but he's, a, he, he's also, to me, he's really at the top of sports, chiropractic, and just keeps leveling up into just different levels of understanding and, and helping players. I think he's got, what, 10 players on tour. So typically now at this point, Howard, if I get – a young player who comes to me, Mark bull from England who I had move over to America. He does the 3d and then Davies and them assess them mm-hmm. and they make, they make notes and then send them to me. And then when I finally see the person for the first time, I know what they can do. I know what they can't do. And then I know under the hood what they are doing. So I would say, because we have this system, which is do no harm is literally do no harm. <laughs> um, Some of the worst times in my life professionally have been when I've when I've not been able to help a player. And to me, like the insecurity that's necessary to be great at this, it is necessary because, you know, we've all taken the three of us have taken a lot of lessons and some helped and some did not. And um man, you know, when you have someone, young player come to you and their dream is to get to a certain point. You know, you have to take that with a lot of responsibility. I was going to say so, it's a
0: it's a lot of responsibility, and uh, the "do no harm" uh, motto isn't that also the Hippocratic Oath as well for physicians? Let yeah, me just. But,
1: that's, but but to think about that though, these physicians, by the time a guy does surgery on me, he's done undergrad, he's done med school, he's done residency. Um, he's basically been at school for ten years and in practice for two years. Then he does surgery on me right. in golf. golf, you can get a guy who's decided that Canadian tour is not for him. Then he does the PAT, where he shoots 76, 77, or whatever it is. That's right. Uh, And then pretty quickly into that man he can charge like 200 an hour it's amazing isn't it okay
0: let me just stop you there because I, I we only have about uh, 10 or 12 more minutes with sean so w- there's a lot of stuff i want to get in and now that tim's joined us i know he's going to have some questions you know i, I uh, one of the things i learned to do in my lifetime i've talked about it a little bit on the show is i learned to fly airplanes you know i took about a 10 year eight year uh, hiatus from golf and I decided to take all that OCD we have in golf and I decided to learn what keeps things in the air. And one of the things I came back to golf with is in things like aviation, there are absolutes. There are numbers you need to hit. There are angles of attack that produce lift. Those are absolutes. They're not open to interpretation. Somebody who uh, just got their license isn't going, you know what I think we should do? Don't put the flaps up. That's my theory. But, but so, so it's just absolute. In golf, the problem is there are no – I shouldn't say this. Let me ask you the question. Are there certain absolutes? Because the amateurs listening might hear a tip from you one day on Revolution Golf and hear something Tim said. But are there some absolutes for you in golf, like like the forces on flight?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that that's what um, myself and Kevin Duffy – uh, who's also a trainer from England, works with Tommy Fleetwood, Danny Willett, uh, Jason Day, uh, Westwood, all those guys. So what Kevin and I did during the quarantine um, was we kind of sat down and thought, okay, what is it? So it's basically three by the power of three. So in every single golf swing, there's three phases of human movement. So the first phase uh, is a stretch phase. So basically that is – the idea of using elastic energy as far as in the backswing so the stretch phase is years ago they called it the X factor and the, the problem was is what they were trying to do was correct but what they measured was wrong so when we talk about the stretch phase we separate above the diaphragm and below the diaphragm okay so if you look at javelin if you look at if you look at discus if you look at pitching and baseball yeah I was you gonna say at, pitching. Well, if, if you basically look at all throwing sports and golf is a throwing sport. the right hand throws the club and the left hand pulls the club. So which will lead us into one thing that's coming up. So what we're seeing is that there's a stretch phase and then at the top uh, up into transition there's a counter rotation phase. So what's happening above the diaphragm just for your just for simplicity is staying closed and what's happening under the diaphragm is opening up. All right. So you have that counter rotation phase. So all this idea about getting to the top and getting deep and then really just opening your body up quick so you, you know, you can swing left. That's not really accurate. The the, the, the greatest Cameron Champ stays in counter rotation phase longer than anyone on tour. That's why he hits it the furthest. All right. Now, you'd have to you'd have to double that up also with doing a biopsy on his motor units to see just how crazy fast.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so we that that's when you're talking about true speed, that you're going to have to come down to like a genetic level of that. Right. And then from there is the extension phase. So basically, I think Hogan did it the best. So as he took it back, his right shoulder, his clavicle stayed really low to the ground. Uh, as he started going up, there's really no tilt in what he did. And then from there, he fires his lower body as the hands and arms almost stay more behind him. And then he just stands up through impact. And, you know, that's what we know in human movement, that that's would be scientifically true. So the reason that people come over the top is because they have no counter rotation phase because they have no real stretch phase. But the idea is that that's the three phases of human movement. Some people, if you look at every tour player, they're doing all three. Now, some do different parts for longer or more so so then you have the three forces that the golfer puts into the grip so in between the hands when they're gripping the golf club there's a net force that's in between those hands so the forces from the top move out they move down and then around us they move back up again so for me The idea of lag, as it was always taught, the two things that really ruined golf was plane being on plane and lagging it. Okay, so the idea that we wanted this object in front of us is is not a good situation. So it's amazing how you look at all these young players who've kind of been unscathed by coaching and how they all look stuck. But they're not, (laughs) you know, and we were all trying to be on plane. Mm -hmm. So. I would say the only time I'm trying to be on a true plane would be like when I'm pitching a ball. So when I'm trying to hit a ball soft with a lot of spin. So if I want to be on plane, I'm going to hit it really short. Uh, And then the idea of lag, lag just turned into people dragging the club. So they're never able to throw the energy out. So Mm -hmm. when you see Cameron Champ lag the golf club, the only thing that he's trying to do is get that shaft back to neutral as fast as he can. Okay.
0: He no, lags but, it. Yes, say that again, because I think a lot of people erroneously think you're supposed to hold on to the club, and that, that screws up more amateurs when, in actual fact, you see really good players, especially long players, they are throwing it fast. Because well, think about look, what you just said. It has to catch up to the where the ball was.
1: Yeah, but it almost has to be back to where it was um, at, at setup, right? So right. The, that, that's the idea is that if Cameron – with his iron play, when he maintained all that angle, we could never hit the ball the same distance twice in a row. So all it's right. really cool to hit a seven iron two twenty five, but <laughs> it's not when you're, trying, but it's not when you're trying to hit a two oh five. No. Um, so there's the three forces in the grip, and then there's the three ground forces. So there's a force that we create, like in skating. So it's left to right, and then there's a twisting force, which is torque or rotation, and then there's a, a jumping force, which is a vertical force. Um, so what we've tried to do is get to the point in three by the power three is being able to look at a player for the first time and be able to match these things to each other within that player. Okay. Um, so it, even though that being said, you know, like the idea of lift and drag is the is, is the case in, in flying. Yeah. Um, you know, Certain planes can fly in bad weather. Certain planes can't. So even within the laws of flying. Yeah, for
0: sure. You know, still principles change based on the design of the aircraft. Tim O'Connor, what is your uh, what is your
2: last couple of questions here for uh, Mr. Sean Foley? Well, Sean, um, fascinating stuff. So cool that you were able to take advantage of the lockdown and do some some really good research. Out of that, what do you think would be the thing that an average, an amateur golfer, perhaps they're listening to this show on the way to the course. So they're going to play some golf this weekend. If there's anything that you would give them from, what would be the nugget from what you just talked about that they could possibly take and experiment with?
1: That's tough because it's like, you got to be able to see the people. But for example, like with everything I explained to Howard, and even if I had said it in the way that we would write it in a book, um, you know, I'm not a big believer in dumbing it down. I think that 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 the world is dumb because things are dumbed down. There's a there's a level of complexity you have to get to to simplify things. So, for example, I thought that when I first worked with Lydia, she had too much uh, of a down force and not enough of an outforce. So rather than even explain it to her, all I did was give her a five iron, put her behind a tree and told her to hit balls over the tree. Because she, you know, she couldn't. She couldn't come in. She had to get rid of her lag in order to provide the ball with enough loft. So I was was trying
2: to. So what you were doing, I think, was giving her an experience of trying. So rather than having her do something, thinking something technical, she was in the experience of hitting a ball high. Yeah. No. 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 You extracted the learning from that.
1: We're not hitting with technique. There's there. I have have too many friends in that learning world, and um, they. You know, to me it, the, the 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 knowledge part is necessary uh in the understanding. She doesn't necessarily I don't Justin Rose, if he wasn't playing pro golf, he'd have been an architect or an engineer. So he'd loved knowing why these things occurred and then from there he could become artful with it. Danny Willett is a similar way. Uh but Cameron Champ, I mean Cameron doesn't really look at video. Doesn't really want to know. He basically is such a feel athlete that if Mm -hmm. I say, hey, it it could feel like this. He'll do it and go, oh, yeah, I felt that. And then he'll see the he'll get the feedback from the ball flight and be like, "Okay, we'll do that. And then I just have to remind him to do that. I
0: I know this isn't easy for any of us because we're all big talkers, but uh, in 120 seconds, we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you, Sean Foley, one of the uh, top teachers on planet Earth, we started off talking about science versus soul. What about the science behind Bryson DeChambeau? What are you seeing with that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so here's the, everyone's missing it, right? They're all missing it. I've known Bryson since he, like I literally walked Memorial with Bryson watching Justin Rose, uh, a week after he won the NCAA championship. And so he, he kind of knew my background. I knew his background and he asked me, can I walk with you? So we walked together and, and, uh, I've known him since then. Um, I speak to him every time I see him. Uh, he's a different kid. He's fascinating. Um but you gotta understand, like the first time I met Bryson, he looked like he played defense on the Maple Leafs. He's a big boy. Yeah, he's, he's six three, two hundred pounds. He was he, he looked like a corn fed linebacker in Nebraska. So um he when he first came on tour, he was using a golf machine. so an uh, owner's setup so the wrist angle like Mo Norman, okay um, you know you you know a kid's smart when he's looked at Mo Norman and went, okay, that makes sense. I want to try
0: more. <laughs> Yeah, on, right? no kidding. People
1: are like people are like, man, that looks weird, right? So anyways, he stood like that. He basically turned around his left leg and his head didn't move. So in the golf machine, that's called a single axis shiftless pivot. OK, so it's a really good way to hit it straight, but it's not very fast. Mm-hmm. But he was still able to produce one hundred and seventy seven miles an hour of ball speed doing that. OK, so now what he does is he drops his hand. He widens his stance. He doesn't start shifting his weight, but he starts creating a lot more torque about the ankle. Uh, he takes the club back really fast, which creates a countermeasure. Uh, Doctor Kwan was big on like having a really fast backswing to maximize distance. Look at world long drive. Okay,
0: hang on a and second. Then- falls, falls. I'm going to have to stop you there because I can see we're going to have to hold you on for another segment. Can you do five more minutes with us on the other side of these commercials? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. See, I knew this wasn't going to work. I, I knew when I said, I I 120 seconds. You said it, it wasn't going to work. <laughs> I know. It took me, you know why? Because it took me 120 seconds to ask the freaking question. We'll be right back. This is Swing Thoughts on TSN Hamilton, brought to you by Taylor Made Golf. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, It's great to be with you here on the weekend. Uh, It's another beautiful golf weekend in Southern Ontario. As always, great to be with you on TSN 1150 Hamilton, brought to you by TaylorMade Golf. Coach Tim's here. I'm golf spiritual leader, Humble Howard from the Humble and Fred Show, and uh, Sean Foley. uh, I think this is Sean's second time with us, but both of us have known Sean a long time. We... Kind of grew up at the same golf course, uh, and uh, over the years, uh, both have been lucky to be around Sean, both as uh, you know, in, in a golf setting and doing things like this. So we're talking about uh, Bryson DeChambeau just before we left, and let's let's sort of finish up with Bryson because he's the the topic of a lot of discussion. But as you said, Sean, he was already a big guy. He's gotten he bigger,
1: was, and he's gotten so he, faster. He was a big. He was a big guy. He was stronger. Uh, he, he was uh, like a, a big kid. He was strong. And then he was already at 177 ball speed in what would be almost the slowest model. Yes. OK, so he was all about control and re- really impressive watching this guy hit range balls. It really is. And so then he decided he wanted to. I've, I've watched him for five years get longer every month every month get longer and longer because he's playing with my guys and they're past them and then they're not, and then he's past them. And, and anyway, so as I always pick his brain all the time, and he loves to talk about it um, is that once he lowered his hands, he creates more of an angular component. All right. The angular components, 20% of speed. The linear component is 80%. Okay. So that's why lag's not that imperative. So from there, uh, he widens his stance, so he creates more force in between his feet. And then he starts really twisting at both ankles. And then he gets to where his backswing gets really long and across the line, so it's not on plane anymore. And then from there, you can see how the club kind of Sergio's behind him. And then he, he works on <laughs> – on, and, and really, the, the idea of when you see these guys like Cameron Champ, who's – Cameron Champ is the future of speed because Cameron isn't even trying at 194 ball speed. Right. So to see what these guys do physiologically to get to where they're anywhere close to his speed. Cameron is an example of an athlete who was given an opportunity to play golf, because unfortunately, in America, it's not inclusive enough uh, and it's too expensive. And then there's that whole other discussion about how society is. So there's imagine if you took half of the point guards in the NBA when they were 10 and gave them the love of golf. Okay, you'd be looking at these kind of peak speeds because these are just pure athletes. So, I would say Bryson was a good enough athlete. And then once he put forty pounds on, the other thing that you're doing if you gain forty pounds is you're going to put more vertical force into the ground just based on friction and mass alone. So, all he really did, I think they've made it a lot more uh, than it is. And and Bryson loves the the Bryson loves the fact of being the story, right? Yeah, of course. Um, is and is that it's this isn't going to be the future of golf it's it's not it's it's not going to be that this was a guy who had the structure and the ability to do it um people say you know he's going to get injured if you look at his knee and all that I, I don't so much agree he's going in hip extension while his left knee is still bent and then his left foot is spinning out so he's not going to really affect his lower back or his hip but but this is a guy who literally has thought about this every single day for five years. This wasn't like, hey, it's quarantine time. I'm going to eat a lot of steak and have protein shakes and lift a lot of weights. He's been doing this for a long time. Okay. Like, so it's really cool. It's really cool, though. It, it, it's uh, it's it's really cool, but I'll tell you really a funny story quickly. So we're on the range at Colonial this year, our first event back, and I'm hitting balls with Cameron next to Bryson, and, and he's teeing it like – He's teeing it so high off the ground. He's got a five-degree driver. He's taking it back to where John Daly did. He's coming out of the ground, and he's just sending these things, right? And he's about 193 ball speed. So he comes over to see me and Cameron. we got the track man up, and Cameron hits one. He's at 194. And the flights are different. Cameron literally hits like a slap shot, and Bryson is hitting it up to where, you know, private flights are. <laughs> It's, it's so high, it's so high. It's almost out of sight. And so they're technically hitting it the same different, but in, in a very different way. So Bryson looks and he goes, gosh, he goes, Cam, I'm, I'm trying to catch up to you. And he goes, well, when you do that, I'll just do five push-ups and hit it by you
0: again. <laughs> uh, all right, O'Connor, why don't you ask uh, one last question for uh, Sean, and uh, then we'll uh, let Sean get on with the, the rest of his family vacation.
2: Well, what I was thinking about was, um, so all the story, like, Shambo's the story right now. And what's interesting is that all the focus has generally been on what he's done with his body. And we've talked about his swing. But what I find really impressive, Sean, is that this guy's been the eye of the storm it's of the storm. media around. Like, people mock him for what he does. Uh, you know, he deservedly kind of brings on some stuff, attention to himself when he complained about that. um cameraman looking at him as he was all pissed off after that bunker shot. So how strong do you think he is mentally?
1: I mean I don't even know what that means. You know, like I I've kind of got to the point where I don't even like the word mental game because to me when I think of mentally like having mental issues, I think of like schizophrenia and bipolarity. I think about chemical you know, I don't when I hear mental issues in golf, I think what happens is you're looking at a bunch of guys uh, who think they'll rise their level expectation but they always fall to their level of training so they train improperly they train in the egoic way the whole thing is kind of vain and then they go out onto a golf course where they never have the same lie the wind keeps switching it's like it's not even mental to me it's it's to me it's more environmental so i've worked with a bunch of pro golfers who say you know hey I really struggle mentally with the wind when it's off the left. And I'm like, well, no, you just struggle technically to hit a ball that starts left enough and holds its line. So there's there's ways to do so – some guys' swings will not really benefit a left-to-right wind, So it's not really mental. Um, I, I think that, to me, the best example is the Navy SEALs or Canadian Special Forces basically – They take a bunch of very capable people, intelligence, athleticism, all that, strength, endurance. And then they make a week that's so difficult that at the end, after 100 start, 90 quit, 10 are left. They call them special forces because what they're doing is they're making the training so difficult that there will only be a few left. So how are we training? How are we training for for golf? I think a lot of Canadian guys who played in the NHL became very tough because they were playing on ponds in Ancaster and 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 ponds in Burlington and ponds in Saskatchewan, where it's like minus thirty out, and so it's it's all that to me. It's like it's it's how it's done. So mentally, I think he's quite narcissistic. Um, he's very vain. I think that when he's on the right side of the media, um, because I would determine, you know, I'd say when he's on the right side of it. <laughs> Uh, that it's all good. But what happens is when the narrative changes, then some guys get affected more. But I, I just have to tell you, knowing this guy for five years, I really admire um, how he goes about his about his business. And then they kind of, you know, it's like Patrick Reed, right? It's As soon as they start picking on you, they they start to continue to pick on you. Yeah, obviously. And so the thing is to know these guys personally, sure, they're not perfect. Neither am I, neither are anybody as a as a as a lover of the game of golf to watch those two almost outwork everyone and that's why they're at where they're at and they don't care to be different and uh so yeah i'm i'm a i'm a fan but uh i'll give you an example if cameron champ went done the same thing body transformation wise he'd win the world long drive championship
0: wow sean um it's been too long. Thanks for accepting this uh, offer. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, always uh, great to catch up with you. I uh, I was thinking about you this winter. I was staying at Marty Chuck's place, and we were telling old national stories. And, of course, your name comes up. And all the sweet people we've known over the years, Brennan Little and the late uh, Craig Marseille, and it's just good to be sort of uh, able to call on you from time to time, and we appreciate it, pal.
1: No, I, I enjoy it, guys. Thanks very much.
0: All
2: right. And I used to uh, just quickly, Sean, when uh, I took my lessons from you for during a winter there, I people would say, what's it like taking a lesson from Sean Foley? So it's really cool. You get to talk about Shea Guevara, Mother Teresa, Keynesian economics and Ben Hogan. That's
0: right. Um, yeah,
1: that's not changed.
0: <laughs> well, listen, man, uh, we appreciate it. And, and, and like, as I've been telling people during the lockdown, I don't say goodbye anymore. I just say end meeting for all, my friend, end meeting yes. for all.
1: Yeah, the, the lockdown. Crazy,
0: crazy days, right? Yeah. All right, my friend. We're going to continue on with our show. We'll just say so long. And uh, thanks again, Sean Foley. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, man. they're right. just going to remove him there. He's gone now. Look at that. O'Connor. Oh, There's Hello. my boy. Well, uh, we will, as it, as I explained off the top of the show, you were otherwise engaged for a few minutes. But now here you are. Uh, basically, you didn't miss much because I just started talking to him, but I had I had mentioned to him, I, I was reading this book called Golf's Holy War, yeah. the, the battle for the soul of a game in the age of science. And of course, he uh, he's liberally uh, quoted in the book because it's perfect. It's the soul of the game and the age of science. But I wanted to hear your comments about what he just said about the mental side of the game and maybe... You know when he talked about uh, people with real mental problems versus golfers that just don't feel good about themselves, but that's, that's, right. r- that's but right. that's real for a lot of uh, men and women. Re- Sorry, what's real? Well, the the anxiety, the yes, the the men. We'll we'll just use mental issues of golf with respect to real mental issues. Right. But what is your comment on that? You know, because. For a lot of us, those issues around golf are very
2: real. I agree, but its it, I agree with him 100% that it's around the training that we do or don't do. Yes. Uh, uh, I'm doing this webinar these days called Obedience Training for Your Brain. And it starts with awareness. If we're not aware that we're caught worrying about breaking 190, 80, if we're concerned about how we're being judged, if we're not aware that that's going on, then we're, we're going to be stuck. We're going to be in this anxiety about all this stuff generally. I mean, that's why Bo, Mo Norman used to play, said golfers used to play in a continual state of hope and fear. But when we train ourselves to be aware of what's going on, now we can take some action. So rather than being caught in this swirl of fear and thinking, we can kind of go, well, oh, wait a sec, that's just my BS brain and my stories and my ego. mm mm-hmm basically driving the train. And I don't want them to because now I can respond. But it only comes from training, from being in the hard experiences, like he talked about, the Navy SEALs, Canadian Special Forces. The reason they are able to operate at this high level is they've gone through some very hard experiences and trained themselves. Uh, I, I, Yeah. I mean, what, he, what Sean said
0: about, you know, a lot of golfers, you know, myself included, you know, live in this egoic, kind of frame of reference and you know, whenever we've talked on the show about, you know, golf hell or going in and out of it, it's always just I can speak for myself, when I'm in a a better state of equanimity about, you know, everything it translates to a better state management in golf and I think for a lot of us and that's a Doolin thing as well, Paul Doolin another friend of our show, mental performance coach, talks about state management and that's kind of what you were saying, like You know, when you can be aware of where you are, you know, in meditation, they always talk about, you know, sit and know you're sitting, you know, where are you in this world? And and especially in the round of golf that somebody might be playing today, it's like a lot of stuff happens without our, in a sort of unconscious way. And I think that's what people like you are great for doing, which is to to see that there is a more conscious way of conducting oneself.
2: Yeah. Thank you. And, And it comes from training it comes from doing, these these are skills that are developed but they don't come naturally to most people no. there's, there, there's not too many buddhas in the world <laughs> <laughs> but it's like being i think you and I were talking about this in the last couple of shows is getting caught in this story like, oh, I've been taking all these lessons, or I'm putting all this time in. How come I'm not better or I should be able to play better in a tournament, et cetera, et cetera. That's just a story. Where's the story come from? It comes from our ego mind. It comes from and where's that? That's just all the stuff that's happened to us through our through our lives the wounds, the memories, the traumas, all that stuff, and basically it's our brain's way of trying to keep us alive, keep us safe. so it comes up with stories. Because once we start to get into the story, basically we're in a place that we don't like. We don't. We're not in control. We we can't hit a shot or can't sink pots, and it's like, oh, woe is me. Well, that's our brain trying to keep us safe, so it comes up with a story of of what you can do to get out of it. And generally, it's try try to get back to some place of safety. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna quit this game. I'm gonna do <laughs> you know, right. all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. I was gonna. I remember last year you guys did the intervention on me. It was gonna like, you know, I'm not gonna play for the rest of the week. Hell, for the rest of the year. Damn it.
0: <laughs> well, listen. I read you the the text I sent my friend. Oh yes, friend Nick Trakilio from the night before the club championship two weeks ago. I was like, I think I'm just gonna retire. You know, cause, and but yeah. that's why I, I again with respect to real mental issues, which I'm sure I've got some. You know the the vagaries of this game, the soul of golf is uh, is of infinite interest at least to me because you know battling your own ego to try and find a place where you're playing I would say in a more soulful way where you're more connected to the game the people around you the the ground you're walking on I think that's the the quest as well as lowering your handicap but sometimes we say
2: one thing when we really want to do the other thing which is break 90 <laughs> you know exactly but when we focused on breaking 90 that just puts us on that emotional roller coaster because yeah. oh i made a par oh good oh i made a bogey oh, oh another bogey it oh. <laughs> just boom up and down up and down because we're focused on results right so the way I, uh, I I like to talk about it is like is, like, is get out of side of yourself, get outside of that very tight spotlight of asking yourselves how am I doing, is today the day, <laughs> how, am, how am I looking, you know what are the guys going to think, you know if I come in and shoot seventy six or what are they going to think, damn it if I come in with an eighty four. That's being all inside stuff, and that just leads to tension, emotional roller coaster. So, when I say about getting outside yourself, like look around at the golf course, be with your partners, actually listen to their lame jokes, um, be out there. Mm-hmm. And because that's where, that's where the equ- equanimity is, is when we're outside of ourselves in the world. You know, one of the things
0: we've said early, early on in this podcast, and by the way, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Swing Thoughts. Uh, I'm Humble Howard, along with Tim O'Connor. If you're listening on the radio, we've done a bunch of these over the last four years. You can go look them up on iTunes. We're well into the second hundred that we've done. But early on, you and I said, you know what? You know, we could lower your handicap by six shots without changing your swing, and You know, I would tell you that comes up for me when I'm talking to people all the time, because my older brother, who was part of our Father's Day show in June, you know, he was having some trouble. He sends me a note and he says, "You got time to talk?" I'm like, "Yeah, I do." And the 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 crux of the conversation is, "I need a complete overhaul of my swing." (laughs) And I said, "Exactly." I said, "David, seriously, dude, you're 68 years old. You're not going to overhaul nothing." And then, we, and then we had a conversation, kind of like you and I would have with anyone, and I just sort of gave him a couple reminders of things that can lower your score. He was all mad because he shot like, a, I don't know, 102 or something. And he's the guy that can shoot in the 90s or high 80s easily. Well, then, don't you know, he calls me this week, I shot 88, and uh, all is great. And I said, but I just want you to remember, David, that you shot 14 shots lower or so than when we talked a week ago, and you didn't need to overhaul your swing. What I would, I would say to most people, what I said to David is, you just need to kind of reconfigure your intention. And we can get into more of that, but I wanted to hear your reaction to that. Absolutely, absolutely. The
2: see what's if if it's all about you know, can I? That's why I'm always worried when I, when I see kids after high school say take a condo in Florida or, or Myrtle Beach and it's all about you know their life becomes can I turn over my five iron you know can I cut my driver and life becomes too focused on on these things yes it matters to be able to control your ball flight if you want to be a high-level amateur or PGA tour player but the gift really is that in when we manage ourselves through life better golf is better everything is better without focusing on that result. Mm-hmm. It's really a, an odd thing is that the the harder I try to do anything, the worse I get. Simple example. You write your, you, say you, someone says, write your signature. Right. There you go. And someone says, duplicate it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now you're all tense. <laughs> you're trying to do it hard. And so it's finding this balance of where you can just kind of be in this place of intention that I'm going to have a good day today. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to have gratitude, whatever it's going to be. I'm going to have a good time. It's in doing that and having, having being focused on what you're doing over the golf ball, for sure. But if it's, if it's like, oh, I need to birdie this hole or I need to yeah. break 90 to feel happy, eh, ain't going to happen. <laughs>
0: Um, From a practical standpoint, because I like that recently we've been saying to some of our guests, like we did to Sean and others, saying, you know, listen, somebody's listening, you know, what can they do today? And I can tell you what I told my brother. And uh, this is from, you know, experience, recent and lifetime of, of shooting some okay scores, that good scores are not the results of great shots, You know the old saying in golf: it's not how good your good shots are, it's how good your bad shots are. But I, my new corollary, how you like that? Nice word. My new one is this: it's the qual. You don't, you don't need to hit a lot of great shots. You just need to hit a lot of okay shots. And when you say to yourself, when you think about that, I don't need to hit great shots today because the pressure to do what you've been told and you're working on this thing but if you can just hit a series of mediocre to okay shots just okay meaning that it, you know it doesn't go in the bunker off the tee and you don't hit it in the trees on your second shot and it's maybe you flub it up you know somewhere near the green and you chip it on and you make a bogey and you do that 18 times you're shooting 90 today because the pressure to hit great shots i think Or what I think people think they need to do much more than they actually have to do to lower their score. The last thing I'll say is I told my older brother, I said, if you ever get near a green, don't worry about the pin. I said, just get your pitch shot. Take a seven arm. Roll it up. I don't care what you do. Just don't double chip. If you just eliminate double chipping, you're going to shoot between 85 and 90 because now you're not making
2: double when you're near a par four and two. Do you know what I mean? Oh, exactly. It's like, um, so we'll come back to the signature, giving your signature. Um, every once in a while, I'll scroll my signature and go, like, oh, my God, I <laughs> a, hand in, a hand injury? That's great, too. Did a nun take a steel ruler and break all funny. my knuckles? Sometimes oh. I write something, and I'm like, do I have palsy? Have I got the <laughs> palsy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but generally, that signature is good enough. Yep. But when. When I'm trying to do it correctly. It's brutal. It looks like I haven't even learned how to do cursive yet. Um, yes, folks, that's an old style of writing. With yeah, no, it was, it was when 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 Tim and I went to school in a one-room schoolhouse. Shut up, young people. Exactly. So so, anyways, when I'm when I'm trying my best, when I'm trying to adhere to some model and that perfectionist ego thing, that's when I hit shots way left. That's when I hit them way right. Yeah. But so those are those horrible shots that lead to big scores. But when I hit okay shots, then I'm going to make the occasional putt. I'm going to not hit the ball in into the crap. Yeah. So it's kind of letting go of that. It's a quick story. Uh, talking about Mick my coach, my who's working on my swing. That I think the last four times I have played Blue Springs first hole, I've yanked it into the woods left. Yeah, and he goes well. Why not hit a five iron? Yes, exactly. So it, it's all about just your decisions and just doing things a little bit differently, dude. I told you that. I said if I was, I know. I, I know, told you that. Just, I said I know, it's I a
0: short par four. You can hit anything. It's really short. It's like 350, 360. You can. You know, hit... like
2: I know. I know. It's just like marital relations. Every <laughs> once in a while. Every once in a while, I would, Sandy. You know, I'll, I'll come into the kitchen with Sandy. And go, hey, you know, hon, I'm going to do this, and she just look at me and glare at me. I've been telling you that for two years. Okay, we're going to take yeah, well, a. We got to
0: say goodbye on the radio. We'll do a little podcast extra because you were late to the party. Uh, O'ConnorGolf.ca, HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Uh, thanks to our good friends at TaylorMade Golf. Uh, i got to tell you, their clubs are uh, superior. Lots of pros are using those SIM drivers. Tim and I are. You should, too. TaylorMadeGolf.ca. And thanks to everyone in the Bell uh, family for letting us do our program on TSN 1150. We'll see you next week. A podcast extra. Uh, Swing Thoughts on iTunes.
2: all right when you hear the music ring.
0: All right, as always, we continue the discussion. Uh, Here's the thing. Um, It's taken me four years to get it through my stupid, stupid golf brain that I don't need to hit great shots to shoot the scores I want to shoot. It's funny, I had a conversation with our friend Ed Collins uh, yesterday, a couple days ago, and we were talking about You know, when you have, you know, being very uh, careful with your plan, with your club selection, with all those things, and then hit the shot and accept what happens. And I said to him, when I get the most pissed off at myself, and I wonder if this is the same for others, when I get the most pissed off, it's because... I didn't really have a plan, but I went ahead and swung and now I'm pissed off cuz I hit a bad shot, but I'm also pissed off at myself because I didn't give my best effort before I hit the ball. And this is why I freaked, I mean got mad on the the first round of the club championship a couple of weeks ago because I made mistakes that I shouldn't that were ego-driven that were the wrong decision and then I executed it poorly. So, it's the double whammy, right? It's the fact that I went ahead and hit a shot I probably shouldn't have, or it was the wrong plan. And one thing Ed said, now I remember why I brought up Ed, he said, you know, the interesting thing about having a great plan is that even if it doesn't come off, you you feel better about the result. Because let's say you, you know, you planned to hit it around a bunker, but you didn't. But that was your plan, and it goes in the bunker because that's golf. You can accept it more readily. It's funny how that works. That a good plan that doesn't come off, we feel more um, equanimity than if it's a shitty plan that doesn't come off. Because now you've got two things that you know you know you should have not maybe hit it there. You know what I mean? I, I, it's, oh, a long, exactly. it's a long. It's a long. No,
2: no, I get it, and and I think that what you, I think when you say a shitty plan in essence is really perhaps having no plan at all. Yes. Or just hitting or, it out there somewhere. Or it was like, oh, uh, everybody else has hit driver on this par four. I guess I better hit driver yes. or they're going to think I'm whatever. That to me is where, and to me it comes down to a, a, a lack of presence. It, it's not being fully, fully there. It's not it's being in your head. Exactly. Not being in the environment of seeing what's actually going on. You know, I don't know how many times it took me years for this uh, that I would say on a chip shot, I'd be focused on some goofy technique thing, like keep my left wrist firm, my right wrist hinged. And I would hit the ball uh, 20 feet short and go, oh, there was a hill there. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. There was a hill there. I had, a, you know, it was all internal, and I was all, again, caught in thinking. And when we're fully present, we're actually in reality. Thinking is just, I use it over and over again, it's like a bottle of soda water champagne. All these bubbles just keep coming up from where? Neuro, neuroscientists don't even know, but they just keep coming. Mm-hmm. Where, so we're in delusion, in fantasy, and all this stuff. It's not grounded in reality, whereas when we're in the environment, when we're in our body, when we're like, okay, I'm looking. Uh, say I'm feeling the green with my feet. Oh, I, it's kind of going right to left here, and I can see as well that it's. Um, and I can just see, I sense. Oh, this is uphill. So it's a it's a. So I'm going to play this putt. I'm going to line up so the ball is going to start about two inches. Two inches right over that little thing, and off it goes. I'm present to that mm-hmm. as opposed to thinking, oh, better get into the hole this time. Keep my head still. I've three-putted three times already today. Yeah, exactly. Don't want to do that again. I don't want to three-putt anymore. Because the guys will make fun of me.
0: You know, oh, I yeah. saw I saw something on uh, <laughs> social media this morning and, uh, on this golf thing I follow. And it was like uh, how I feel after I three-putt. And there was a cartoon. said, you know, I shake it off. That was the next panel. And then the second next panel was a guy laying down on the green. I feel like crying. And the last one, I cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm articulating my point as well as I'd like to. But what I'm trying to say is that, well, you brought it up. You know, if all the buddies you're playing with hit driver on the par four and you have already thought, and this happens to me all the time, you know, and it's like. I'm, you know, I don't mind being seen as an outlier because when I stick to my own, when I'm present to what I want to do, I tend to, it tends to work out better for me. But, you know, my older brother's a great example. You know, he's, I want to overhaul my entire swing. And I said, dude, it's not about your swing. And I would tell this to people listening. It's not about your golf swing. You know, I played with uh, one of our listeners, Rudra. Uh, Rishi Maharaj on Monday. And, you know, he's got like a decent move and he's got two months removed from uh, double hip surgery. But wow. he hasn't, you know, he goes around a really tough golf course and shoots like 83. Now, if you saw mm-hmm. him swing, you'd be like, you know, he's got a, it's, he's I'm not saying he doesn't have a good swing, but you've been, it's not like, he's not, it he doesn't have a tour swing and he doesn't have a, you know, but he has a good enough swing and he has a decent Approach to how he plays, he kind of gets it around, and eighty-three is a good golf score. You know, like a lot of people would like to shoot eighty-three. Absolutely, but, but if you watched him, you know he's he's got his own move, and he's got it. He, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you two things he does very well that I would recommend for all to just take a little more time this weekend, pay more attention. He pitches the ball very well. And subsequently, because he pitches it well, meaning he gets it on the green all the time, no matter what the lie is. If he's got a third yard, a third shot on a par four, and he needs to get it on the green, he does, and that gives him the opportunity to occasionally, as you said, make a par. So his bad his bad moments where he doesn't quite hit the green in regulation don't lead to doubles. And I can't stress this enough. Really, really try and eliminate those doubles and triples that are unnecessary yeah we're all going to hit one in the lake once in a while it's just golf but if you're near a a green in regulation and you come off with anything more than a bogey it's because your pitching and putting aren't aren't where they need to be like rudra like i said i don't know how many greens he hit that day but he shot 83 and it could have easily been you know a little bit lower but it was never going to be much higher is my
2: point let me run this by you I, I think that Rudra might be with some other people who I've played with and that they don't have a trained swing but right. they have they have a trained mind yes and I would would it be fair to say that Rudra I mean I know Rudra's a golf nut bar and he's a great fan of the show but I have a sense that he doesn't get all wrapped up in trying to swing the golf club correctly and doing all this thing is that, and, and a key thing for golf for him is getting out and playing and having fun and having a beer after and just chatting and being outside. Would that be fair to say? Uh, absolutely.
0: And like, Cause it was a beautiful day and, and all of that, you know, was that was what the day was about.
2: And we happened to be golfing while we were hanging out. That's right. And he happened to shoot a nice score for a guy of his, of his technical ability. Yep. And, there's a great lessons i remember playing with uh, uh bruce simmons he was uh i was the director of communications for club Lake. he was the president and he had this fire and fallback swing you know kind of the driving range yeah, and yeah these guys hit and they end up on their back foot shot a nice 79 because it was he was to live and die with his golf swing and it was very interesting for a guy who in, who basically founded one of uh North America's most successful golf organizations grew from 4 courses now to 31 in Ontario and Quebec, 10 in Florida. He says he didn't he, he wasn't terribly passionate about golf. Mm-hmm. He didn't he didn't stay awake at night staring holes in the ceiling wondering about, "Oh, how do I cure this end-out uh, swing?" He just liked playing golf. Yeah. And he shoots 79 and I had that with other guys too is that they they, in essence, have a trained mind around what's really important. What are they doing? They keep it in perspective, and they don't. They, their egos don't go to this place of "Oh my God, how am I ever going to switch this swing?" And no one. And I'm going to. Yeah. Place-
0: when am I ever? You know, I'm. What look I? Look, I'm, I've said that. When am I? When, when will I- all the practice finally pay off? Why can't I just be a
2: plus one, handicap? Yeah, but what I'm going to stop you there quickly is that the reason those guys shoot that they, they don't get to the level that you're at and I would just discuss on ego just the level I'm at because we also have there's something that drives us for sure to put in the time to practice more to read the books to take lessons and so it's a double-edged sword for us so there's a part no I know pretty- well, I think you and I sometimes are similar in that we think if we could just get this right then we would be healed exactly but we heal a little. It's in that. It's in that trying and the dark stuff and the sh- and all that, all those experiences. That those are gifts to us, and we learn from that. And we get. We become better golfers. Uh, absolutely, you Whereas know. Whereas a lot of player, a lot of people, it's not that important to them. So, and that's fine.
0: Well, the the, the problem with certain people though is they say it's not important to them, but uh, you know, then then it really is. But they just don't want to, you know. What Sean was saying about, you know, uh, dumbing things down. You know, I have all the technical knowledge around a golf swing that I would ever need. And, And what I'm trying to do now is to dumb down my own approach to it so that I'm not trying to figure out my golf swing. Every day I go golfing anymore. Yeah, I work on I work on the fundamentals, and I make sure that I'm set up correctly, that I've got good standing, as Henrik would say, that I'm my, I'm not aimed all screwed up. But I'm not trying to cure my swing every day. Whereas you and I both have gone through periods where, like, I just it's a it, be, it it's so elusive. It's like almost like well, I should just give up then.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm actually I, I think I'm coming out of my. uh my stint in golf hell. Um, like I haven't broken eighty five this year because I've been working. Well, not I, I, there was a straight line I just drew. I've been working with Martsy on Mike Martz and on a change in my swing to basically speed up that my change my how my torso rotates. And trying to take that, I, I went. Don't take it to the golf course. But you start hitting some bad shots, and go, okay, let's let's do the torso thing. Yeah. And then it goes further. <laughs> it goes worse. Let's than do it the was.
0: torso thing. Is funny.
2: Okay, more exactly. torso. I need more torso. I need more torso in my life. Um, anyways. Um, but I was getting it. But I was having this ego battle of saying, oh, my God, you, you shot 88. You're like a coach and you do these webinars. You do a podcast and really 88. Oh, my gosh. And, and it was like, OK, shut up, ego. You know, I'm learning something here. Mm-hmm. And, th- and that's what it is. It, it's about having that perspective that it because I'm not getting it doesn't mean I suck. I come back. This is a friend. And it doesn't mean that you'll never get it. No, what it, Fred Shoemaker goes, he, he has this lovely way if he looks at things, a different way to have perspective. Instead of, I suck, I'll never get this, I'm a bad athlete, dad thought I was a spaz, of course I'm a spaz. What it really means is, you know, I'm just starting to learn this torso thing, and if I keep at it and work the program, I'll eventually learn it. Different perspective. Yeah, I know.
0: I, I've heard him say that. Um, that. You you if you say to yourself, Hey, well this is just something I'm working on, I don't need that's the problem with taking a lesson and then going to play is because you think, Well you know, if you read about I didn't get into it with Sean about Tiger Woods and the work with Haney and Den Foley, like there's a guy who was the best that ever played the game, arguably, and he didn't get it right away. You know, the first year he worked with uh, Haney, he didn't win the entire year. They went a whole year, I think, mean, like, whatever it was, 2002 and three, And he didn't think he sucked. He just thought, well, I guess, you know, this is where I
2: am. And that's the funny part for me is that so I, I do this as a living. I work with people with golf coaching, life coaching, et cetera. And, and the reason people come to people like me and Sean Foley is that they want to move forward somehow. They're seeking mastery. Uh, another way for that to, to express that is change. They want to change. But our egos don't want us to change because our egos don't want us to be in this unsafe place, feeling uncomfortable, feeling threatened. So our egos are always trying to drag us back. You know, really, you don't really want to do that. That's really not for you. <laughs> That's <laughs> you right. Because you
0: might be way. vulnerable and you might not know
2: something. And-, and you might shoot 88 and feel like you're an idiot. Yeah. Um, whereas, uh, and... Believe me, I do this for a living and I fall fall prone to it or prey to it, that's it, Um, as much as anybody else. But I also, through the own work I've done, talking to people like you, other people, I have now a greater awareness of going, oh, I'm caught in my freaking ego thinking, my little whiny little boy. Mm -hmm. That's not going to serve me here. What I need is big Tim. And Big Tim, who has this perspective of things and what I need to do, and Big Tim knows, hey, get out of your feeling sorry for yourself in this story. It's about learning. Stick the program, and you'll get it. Yeah, and, and I also
0: think, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to for you, swing thought nerds, uh, Coach Tim, and I are going to hang out today for the first time yeah. on a golf course in a long time, actually. Um, I can tell you, there's some things I want to share with you today when we play that are more about, and I think this is something we should, you know, explore more in this podcast than we really have, which is, you know, strategies that lead to lower scores. Are it, back to my, you know, talking about when we first started. I know now better what those six shots are for most people. And it's more about strategies. Like your torso thing, absolutely. Keep working on it. But I played golf yesterday on men's night at our course with somebody. I've, I've, I've seen him around. I'm just not part of the same group. And we ended up together. And he'd never seen me play golf. And when we finished, he said something very interesting. He said, man, he said your game's really boring. And I said, thank <laughs> you. He said, no, no, I mean that in a good way. He said, you just kind of kind of move the ball around and you go about your business. That's those were his words. You go about your business and it doesn't really it doesn't seem too flashy is what he said. Although I was kinda like, wait a second, I had some flashy shots. But but mostly what he meant was I just kinda I use this phrase, I just kinda dink it around the golf course. And you know, my it's what Rotella said in the very first book I ever read. You know, I've now adopted a very conservative strategy, but aggressive swings to those places. Once I've decided I'm going to hit it over there and try and draw it off that right bunker, I'm very committed to it. So that if it doesn't
2: come off, it's just in the middle of the fairway. (laughs) You know what I mean? Absolutely. And So people may think I've lost my rocker on this, but that's basically what Tiger Woods did. Yeah. yeah, YouTube YouTube is full of these spectacular shots. Absolutely. But that would be every once in a while. But Tiger outplayed everybody mentally. The same as Jack Nicklaus. Everyone would be playing against each other, and Jack would play the course. And he would hit the right shots at the right moment to the right target. And so players like uh, Tiger and Jack... They didn't beat themselves. Right. They just played to the right positions. They didn't bring the water into play, didn't short-side themselves through the good decisions they made. And I'd love to take a deeper dive. No, into dude, that. That,
0: that is absolutely, you know, we, we went to this seminar, Tim and I, with uh, Scott Fawcett from Decade, yeah. yeah. And he was talking about Tiger Woods. He said, Tiger Woods is the greatest lag putter that's ever played. He said, you think about it. When Tiger Woods didn't have a green light pin, he hit it 20 or 30 feet, took his two-putt par. Once in a while, he made one of those, and then he moved on. All the spectacular shots, as you said, were once in a while, he rose to the occasion and hit shots that no one else would. But he basically just – what you said is what I would say now, if you want to take six or eight shots off your game this weekend – Try not to beat yourself. And if, you know, like, you know, one of the things I've worked on in my golf swing is basically kind of a choke down driver swing so that I'm I'm because I I don't all the trouble I've ever gotten into in a golf tournament is I'm trying to swing as hard as I can and I miss it and it goes off the planet. But when I'm 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 making this kind of it feels like a three quarter driver swing. That even when I don't hit it well, it's still somewhere in the fairway. You know, I, I'm going to tell you, I shot even par yesterday, and it looked like, like it was a, it was pretty simple. I didn't, I hit a couple, I had a couple of nice shots, but I only made two birdies. So it wasn't like I had six birdies and a couple doubles. I had two bogeys and I had two birdies and 14 pars. Just dinking the drive out there somewhere. I hit the next shot in the middle of the green. I two putted. I had a couple of close ones that I missed, and I had a couple up and downs that I made. And in the end, as this man said, he'd never seen me play. He said, that was a really boring round of golf. And I said, well, I'm trying to lose the chaos of yep. taking a triple on the second hole and having to make five birdies to make it up.
2: So that's the work that you and Dr. Ed have been working on, isn't it? A little bit, yeah. Okay. Trying to take right. the chaos out of my game. Exactly. I totally get it. And uh, there's a metaphor for your life there, right? sir, <laughs>
0: But I promise you, like, I think that's a, a good a good place for us to end, and I think it's a good place for us to start looking is, you know, I, and again, I got my brother to lose 14 shots off his worst round to his best round this year just talking this stuff over and saying, you know what, Tim, take a five iron off the first hole exactly. or take a, a, a hybrid because, you know, as Henrik always says, good follows good. Like, if you're in the fairway on the first hole, now your arousal level is lower. And now you can hit a shot up near the green or on, and then you two putt and you've made a par, and or a bogey, and you it
2: doesn't affect you the way that hitting it left every time does. Yeah. Well, Mike Martz. Yesterday we were talking, and he said, he you know in the old days when you had like the, the 150 yard marker, you know, that white PVC. Pipe, yeah, yeah, yeah. You just hit to that. Yeah. And he played. He grew up at Conestogo, uh, just kind of near Kitchener, Guelph, etc. And he would routinely shoot par at age 14 because all he used to do was shoot to the 150 and really folks it doesn't really matter that much different whether you you know people talk about hit oh if i hit driver i'll have sand wedge in but goodness if you hit it if you hit it and you've got seven iron, anything seven iron you're you're golden yeah you know as opposed to hitting out of the woods and having the pitch out that ronan and i've been talking about uh keeping track on um (laughs) A uh, decade golf of our uh, strokes gained with punch outs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. Well, I can tell you, you know, like I, 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 I have been. Uh, Henrik has been tr- driving this into my head for four years. That it's you. That far hitting. That's what he called it. Far hitting isn't the answer to lower scores for us. Maybe it is for Deschambeau, but for the rest of us. It's, you know, can you get your thing somewhere in play? Not every fairway, but somewhere in play. And whatever it takes to do that. But as you just said, a great example is all the guys hit driver, and you're like, well, I guess I should hit driver. I'm going to look like a whatever. But, you know, yesterday in this round of golf, like I had a about a 15 or 18-foot uh, chip off a really, really tight lie to a pin that was about 15 feet on the green, and, uh, you know, here I am, Mr. Close to Scratch golfer. I'm this, playing with this guy's never seen me play. What did I do? I walked over there with my hybrid because I was going to putt it. And I thought, no, it's too much fringe. And I was going to hit like a low sort of nine iron. I thought, nah, just to be safe, to make sure I, because all I cared about at that point, yeah, I'd like to make par, but I didn't want to stub it. And I didn't want to make it harder on me than I needed it to be. So I dinked it up there with my hybrid to about eight feet. Almost made the putt. Worst time. It was one of my one boat, one of my two bogeys. But it was, yeah, it was that's awesome. But I don't. I ha- So I have no problem, even though I know I can hit the, you know, whatever shot. I just thought in this moment, what's the best thing for me to do? And I would say that if everyone asked themselves in the golf game, they're going to play this weekend in this moment. Not what Tim and Howard did or what, what I think I should be able to do. That's another thing that screws me up. What I should be able to do when we're dinking around on the driving range today and what I'm going to do are not always the same thing. Oh,
2: absolutely. And and so the thing that I have just in, in wrapping up is, uh, is when I'm outside of myself, when I'm actually looking at what I'm doing or what I'm faced with, then I... I can generally rise to the challenge and hit a pretty good shot. Sometimes it'll be great. Sometimes it'll be mediocre, but it takes the big numbers out of play. Yes. But when I'm all concerned about, oh, am I shifting my weight and am I going to keep my head still, blah, 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 blah. No and chance. That's when it screws up. And so it's making, because if I'm also out there looking at what I'm, I'll say, like, oh, if I got this shot here, I don't want to punch it through the fairway. So it goes under these trees over here, which actually happened to be freaking twice (laughs) left. You know, my god, Hitting a punch out to almost where you have to hit another punch out. Yeah, that's no good. Dumb
0: golf. Yeah. that's. But back to what I said on the show, you know? Yeah. It's just like, yes, I hit a couple shots yesterday that were wow. But mostly, you know, again, at my level, mostly they were just okay shots, you know, on a short par four on the back nine. I hit three wood off the tee and didn't happen to hit it very well. But I hit it straight. I sort of heel cut it, and I just hit it sort of—I don't know, maybe 220 yards. Didn't really hit it great, but I didn't. It left me in the middle of the fairway, and only I knew I didn't hit it great. It's just what I was. I wasn't trying too hard. I wasn't trying to do too much with it. And and that's the the big takeaway is like, you know. Just remember what I said, it's not what you can do. It's what you're going to do now that makes all the difference. Because I was a kind of golfer who was like, I'm going to show you how far I can hit a 7-iron. Because I can hit a 7-iron a long way on the range. But on the golf course, I don't know where I, I thought that was the whole point of it. And Henrik said to me, no, the point is to get it on the green so you have a chance to score. So rather now than show you how far I can hit a seven iron, now I'm like more invested in how far can I grip down on this seven iron and hit it 135. Because golf. because That's the real golf that is that is the that is the thing for me. It's not like because last year I'd have been like, hey, I'm these seven nineties, I can hit my seven iron 170, super,
2: but I'm not on the green, you That's know. Right. Yeah. Well, as our friend Carl Morris, to say he calls that exhibition golf. Hey, look how far <laughs> I can hit it. That's it's it. Close. But as opposed to scoring golf, it's completely different.
0: Well, we're, I'm looking forward to playing some scoring golf. What time are we supposed to play? We're going to meet at 4 or something?
2: At 4. I think our tee time is 5.18 or something. But, all right. You know. So you have to book time on the range?
0: Yeah, man. That's interesting. Yeah, well, well, I'll meet you up there around 4. Listen, man, I'm glad that this all worked out. I knew it would. Yeah. Uh, no, you're a good you. man. I'm playing a little. Uh, Kim Mitchell has the baseline. Because you're a bass player, you know. That's you, right. Know, do, you, do you see it behind me? I did. I saw. I was going to say that's very cool. Well, you've become a lot cooler since I met you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Timmy. I gotta go. I gotta host my own webinar today, son. Good. All right. I'll see you around. Make a as Thank you, pal. Yes, Take you. care.